You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. So my guests today are Jenny and Emily from Enhance the UK, and we're going to be discussing the Undressing Disability campaign, which is all about supporting the sexual needs of disabled people, but not just the people themselves, but the people around them, the people who help care for them, for their partners. And I think that this is a really important topic because it's not one that gets discussed a lot. And it's something that this campaign is all about breaking things down and starting that conversation. So Jenny and Emily, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. And do you guys want to start this conversation, kick it off by explaining a bit about what Enhance the UK actually is? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, so yeah, I'm Jenny and um, I'm, the, I'm the CEO of Enhance the UK and I actually set Enhance the UK up about 12 years ago now. Um, and the reason that I did that is because I was working in care for a lot of years, working as a carer, working as a campaigner. Um, and I was having um, lots of conversations directly with um, people that are living in care homes, going through people's care plans um, and looking at looking at, work, you know, running campaigns. And actually, one of the big things that kept coming up was there wasn't anything around people's and we we refer to it now as sexual expression but people just going out going to the hairdressers going to get a massage getting their nails done etc you know things that that people massively take for granted and while I was looking at actually there's not really much support for that then looking at businesses and organizations and realizing a lot of businesses and organizations themselves weren't set up if disabled people then wanted to be able to go and access these things so um Enhanced UK was kind of born like that um and it's it's, it's a little bit it's a charity but a little bit like a social enterprise so we work with lots of organizations um Northern Rail um BBC lots of different football clubs to um implement um in, uh, uh, disability awareness training um so then when hopefully the disabled people that we support are ready to go out and access all these you know wonderful things um then they can actually access them and, and staff are ready and it's a lot around attitude towards disability um i don't think one can really work without the other mm. and so it's about not just enabling disabled people to go out and have the experiences they want to, but enabling organisations to help them to do that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. There's no point, you know, empowering people um, and saying, "Well, you can go out." You know, you need, you know, you can have this independence, and 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 then they go somewhere and uh, it's not accessible, or it is accessible, but the staff themselves haven't got a very good attitude or they're not able to make reasonable adjustments to help that person you're setting people up to fail um so I think the two need to work you know need to work together um to allow that to happen um it's getting it's getting there it's a, it's a slow process but you know we're seeing movement in the right direction mm. and the undressing disability campaign is quite a new campaign it's uh, no it's not actually it's not a new campaign it's been running for a long time um but it's getting more momentum that's why it probably is seen, um, it, you know, it's really the reason, again, why Enhance, you know, grew in the first place, started, started in the first place. Um, but I think it just shows you that when I started it all those years ago to now, 
um, what a difference in attitude there is now. Like people are talking about it mm. a lot more now. You know, we, we we do more podcasts like this. We, we're in the press a lot more. People are taking interest because they're realising that it is a real human right. They're realising how much it affects people's mental health when sexual expression isn't taken into account. Um, I think COVID-19 may have helped actually a little bit with that because people are realising how isolating and lonely it is not being able to have a cuddle even, you know, or see their loved yeah. ones or, or get to the hairdressers. You know, that was a big thing for everyone. I need my hair doing. I need my nails doing. And actually how important those things actually are to your mental health and how you feel about yourself. So it's not new, but it's um, it's taken a kind of a new momentum of late, which is can only be a good thing, really. Yeah, I think that sounds really positive. And I'm really glad I actually asked that question with the wrong answer, because I think you highlighted something really important, which is attitudes, which is such a big change in attitudes, such a big change in visibility. And so what do you guys hope to achieve with the campaign? I suppose one of the things that um, you I'd, I'd seen on the website was that it's about like raising standards in sexual health and sexual awareness for disabled people. But there's a very big social movement that goes with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's really, really important for us is that like Jenny said, we're not just empowering disabled people themselves, but we're hopefully creating or helping to create an environment that disabled people themselves can then access and get benefit and use from. Um, and within that, we're also wanting to empower, educate, build confidence in people that don't have disabilities, um, non-disabled partners of disabled people, carers of disabled people, parents of disabled people who, let's face it, need the information and that awareness gaining just as much as disabled people themselves do and don't necessarily know where to turn and where to go for that advice, for that help. Mm, Absolutely. And I suppose one of the things that I thought of when I heard you speaking there was some people might not have always had a disability, so it might be that their condition has changed, that their Um, disability has changed obviously things can change all the time and so it might feel that people might have got used to a way of being and then it might change and be different and they have to adjust everything again and so that ongoing support would be really important as a part of that of course yeah of course there's there's people that are born with impairments and people that acquire them and we quite often say that regardless of how proud I am for example as a wheelchair user someone with cerebral palsy that was born with their impairment I am fully aware and I totally appreciate that someone that inquires their impairment there can be a whole grieving process that goes with that because in gaining a disability you do inherently lose another part of your identity that you had before the impairment so I think one of the really important bits of work that we do is provide support for those people as well. Mm. It's also about, I suppose, helping people to feel that there is a community and a space. And I know that um, something you guys mentioned is you have something called the Love Lounge, which is where people can come to talk with other people and get peer advice as well. Yeah, so the Love Lounge is something we're really, really proud of. It's an online Q&A forum, if you like, of its kind, where disabled people and their loved ones can write in with any questions or concerns about love, sex, relationships, dating, 
um, and we call ourselves the non-expert sexperts, um, we will do our best to answer those questions from our own personal experience um, or we'll know within our contacts and within our networks somebody who can who does have an answer to that question. And what we also do is we anonymize any questions that we get and we upload them to our website. So if you perhaps do have a concern, but you've not had the confidence to maybe email and ask that question, you can also benefit from reading those questions and answers as well. And we really do hope that yes, disabled people feel empowered by this and get the confidence to go on dates, disclose their disability, try out new sex positions or sex toys, whatever it may be. Um, But at the same time, non-disabled people can gain that education and awareness. And hopefully this taboo and this fear that so often surrounds disability and sex will be challenged and will be halted at some point. Mm. And do you think that that fear is about a lack of information, about a lack of awareness, about a lack of understanding? I think it's, I don't, not always. I think that um, it depends what the the fear is. Because when something, if, if somebody's acquired a disability... Um, or or that or they've you know got um, an illness which is gradually you know is degenerative. That fear isn't necessarily lack of information. You can have all the information in the world, but it doesn't mean that you have the confidence or you see um, anybody that looks like you in the media or looks like you that's se- that's sexy um, or looks like you that fears you know feels good. So I think that there's like. A, a bigger pitch than that I mean awareness and talking about this is a bit is a big thing but Emily said you know said it just a minute ago it's, it's kind of a grieving process a lot of the time that people have got to go through to be able to then get to the point where they feel comfortable to actually be able to get that information and um I mean the love lounge is is grown and grown and grown you know it really has and at first we were we didn't even think it would work um, because we knew there were people out there, but they didn't have the confidence to to write into us. And we always say, you know, give give us some time to to reply to you. Because as again, as Em said, we spend a lot of time finding the right people. Because every single question that we get asked is so different. There's such a yeah. different kind, you know, array of different impairments that people people write in with, um, and different problems that people have. And people, some people write in, and they are suicidal. They really are. Um, this that you know, some people are so depressed. Other people aren't. They just need a little bit of a confidence boost and and a bit of a point in the right direction where to get an accessible sex toy or something. So it really is such a range of different questions and things that we get in. So some of it is around fear, but a lot of it is about coming to terms with who you are and like it sounds very cheesy but it's true kind of if it's you with the impairment learning to like love yourself and your body again and and rediscovering that is a big part of it Mm. and do you notice that there are like themes to the questions that are coming through or is it as you say like a massive range and they're all so different or do you think there are I suppose more common questions or more common themes of the advice that people seeking yeah there's there's most definitely themes um quite a lot of the questions that we get as jenny said are around confidence are around perhaps going on your first date and when should you disclose your impairment should it be when you're on tinder 
or should it be um, kind of during your first, second, third date when you're in the bedroom? And I think what's really interesting with that as a question is it really is dependent on firstly how you feel and it should always be up to you. But secondly, on how visible your impairment is. So I'm a wheelchair user. Um, and I think it would be going against my duty as a disabled person personally if I turned up to a first date and I'd not let the person know and there was five steps up to the restaurant. Um, yeah. Jenny has a very, very different experience to disclosing. So that in itself is really interesting. Um, we get plenty of questions around pain and sexual positions and how to turn that pain into pleasure as best as possible um, how to gain confidence in having intimate and quite often, let's face it, awkward conversations around disability and sex, mm. um, sexual positions, sex toys and equipment, how to enable your mobility equipment, your bog standard hoists and bed rails at home, how to make those into more sexual aids, for example. So, so many different questions like that. And then we also get questions from partners who are perhaps fearful of saying or doing the wrong thing or have seen somebody that they really like and they're not quite sure how to introduce themselves um it's really really interesting and so important that just sounds amazing that that resource is there because it also feels like it's so um relatable and I think that for lots of people who are struggling they actually want to hear from people that they can relate to and understand Absolutely. their experiences and understand what's going on. And I think that I can imagine that is just, you know, such a valuable resource for people to feel that they can get that support. Yeah, I think I think what's really important that, you know, the, the kind of, um, uh, the way that we set up Enhance is to be as warm as we possibly, you know, our ethos is really to be as warm as, as we possibly can be and um, as easy to, you know, reach as possibly can be. And the reason for that is that anything to do with text, uh, disability, people kind of really get embarrassed about and they want they don't want to say say the wrong thing and anything to do with sex get people get really embarrassed about and, and yeah. don't want to say so you put those two together people's minds are blown you know they don't know what to say um so <laughs> I think you know we have there's a lot of humor that needs to go in that because we're humans you know and we get things really wrong and some positions are going to be really painful if that's what you know or funny or you know you make noises your body makes noises the way that you don't want your body to make a <laughs> yeah. noise you know those things we've got to talk about those things you know and it's not like the movies where you know things are all perfect it's real life um and I think uh, as uh, as disabled people you know ourselves talking about our own experiences my experience is completely different to Emily I'm a hearing aid user and so when I take my hearing aids out or I'm in the dark or I'm in situations where I can't lip read very well in this situation I've got my headphones I've got my hearing aids in um and by the end of this podcast alone you know, I'm going to have a pretty bad headache, you know, I have to really concentrate to listen. And, you know, I've, I've been on dates, uh, where I've arranged to meet someone in a pub. And, um, I met my partner on Tinder, actually, but the date before when I met my partner, I arranged to meet, meet this guy in a pub, I live in Brighton, and it's, some of the pubs are really dark. And I had this candle and I kept putting it under this guy's face, you know, and he's like, what, what are you doing? I was like, it's too dark, I can't hear you. And you could see his brain going dark, can't hear, you, you know, don't understand, you know, and, and actually, 
you know, it's about kind of explaining for me, I didn't always disclose my disability because people don't understand hearing impairment. They understand hearing and they understand deaf. They don't understand hearing impairment. They get really confused by that. And I found that the people that I did disclose to or when I was chatting to people on Tinder really, you know, literally, as the kids say, ghosted me. Um, And so I left it till I actually met people to be able to explain what that was. So it's two different things. And there's no right or wrong to this. There isn't. It's like how you feel, but it's about making it as real as possible and knowing that that there is no always a right or wrong and, and you are allowed to have a bit of a laugh with it and have really bad dates to be able to get good dates, if that's what it means. So it's important that we talk about it. Mm. And do you think that people can get so worried about getting it wrong that they just actually like don't do anything at all and what you guys are trying to say is try you know like with empathy and communication and understanding and humor and that is better than not trying at all 100 percent. yeah I mean I, I've just come off we, we, we we're doing all our teaching on zoom at the moment and I've just come off a, a four and a half hour lesson um, on disability awareness um uh to with an organization and the whole you know every question that kept coming up was but I don't want to patronize people I don't want to embarrass people I don't want to look like I'm saying the wrong thing you know that's all that ever comes up it's not because people are are bad people some people are bad people obviously but generally speaking people are good you know and they they have the right intentions but they're so fearful that exactly what you just said they end up saying nothing at all and what kind of world are we in now if we can never if we never say anything of fear of getting it wrong and i think most disabled people that i know most people with impairments expect people to get it wrong a little bit it's okay you're always going to get militant people in certain certain minority groups that that really shout and you know and sometimes those messages need to happen to to make change i appreciate that but generally speaking people know that if you haven't got that impairment yourself, you're not always going to get it right. It's if you repeatedly get it wrong or if you repeatedly do something that's not helpful, then that's a big difference. But we can all learn how to do things. And it's just having an open conversation about it and and being open-minded to it. Totally. And I think what's really, really interesting about that is that that applies to sex as well. Just as much as that applies to disability awareness that absolutely applies to sex and relationships. I don't expect to meet somebody and for the first time then exactly know what to do and how to be a magician with my particular body and my needs and my requirements and my preferences and my desires. That's the beauty of sex, isn't it? Being able to discuss those things and explore those things together. And I think what we're really trying to do is is empower people, give people confidence, but at the same time say, it's okay to get things wrong. Give yourself a break, but be open to learning. Be open to bettering yourself and educating yourself and everybody wins. Mm. And I think you're so right, Emily, because that's what it's like for everyone in a new sexual experience with a new partner. There isn't a magic formula that we can apply to every sex life, to every person. And We have to work it out as we go along and things change, people change, desires change, preferences change. And what you're saying is that that is still the case here. And you guys, um, we were talking about the Love Lounge, but something that you've just launched is a new hub 
which is another um, way of people accessing information, support. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, this is something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. And again, the campaign's been running for a long time and we've been having people from all around the world contact us, you know, at different times over the years um, and saying, you know, I want to write, you know, we're in Australia, we want to write this policy and we want to know a little bit more. We want some training um, or the same in, you know, in, in someone in Africa or someone in America. And um, we've been noticing this kind of, you know, people coming, people not being able to connect with the right people, not knowing where to go. But this, you know, common theme that people are desperately looking for other people to work with to get advice from. And um, actually, you know, um, LinkedIn was kind of kind of the inspiration for that. And we were saying, right, so we call it we call this hub the the sexy little sibling to LinkedIn. Um, and, it, and it really <laughs> is that it's for people to go on, um, fill their profiles out, which takes just a few minutes um, to fill out as much as they can on their profile, because they get more from it than that. You know, and there are people um, we've got people who are you know, OTs on there, um, who are care home managers, who in the film, you know, TV in- industry, um, whether they've, you know, those professionals happen to have a disability or not. Um, and it's about an opportunity for people to network and, um, and share ideas, share policies, share resources, share events that are happening. Um, so it's not so um, fragmented across the world. And there is one place you know and the reason we have resources on there that are free resources um and then people sign up they can get a a copy of our undressing disability book for free it's not um it's there to provide a service because as we always say we don't know all the answers and we don't claim to know all the answers there are too many different variations of the answers you know for thousands of different people millions of different people with different impairments but there isn't really a sense of community because again, it's there's so many disabilities. You can't really have that community. We don't need to. We don't. We're not claiming to become a community when we don't think we necessarily even want that. But it should. We want it, and it should be a place where people can come in and find information. And if they can't find it, let us know, and then we will try and source that information or try and find what's what's out there. And if it's not out there, and we can't find it. Well, what do we do about that? Where, how, how do we create create these resources ourselves if that you know what needs to happen which sometimes has been the case and as you said there's such a huge range of disabilities that it's probably impossible to cover everything but I suppose what it feels like you guys are trying to do is connect with some of the feelings and experiences that you notice people are describing irrespective of their condition so I know that isolation was one of the things that you guys said earlier has been like a consistent um you know feedback or communication from people like I feel alone in my experience I feel unsupported and I suppose the thread of how people are feeling is probably really linked and there's a lot going on around that I don't I don't use this lightly um, when I say the words, it, you know, it breaks my heart, but it breaks my heart when I think about people that are particularly and particularly now are in care settings. Um, and as I said, this was the inspiration really to, to start the, the charity in the first place where people are so isolated 
anyway. Lots of people haven't got the access to having a laptop themselves even, or if they, if they do, or if there's a communal um, communal uh, computer room maybe in a care home um, and they're limited to what they can access. If people are feeling so lonely um, and they tend to end up switching off the best you can some some of their emotions and don't even they desexualize themselves you know because out of pure necessity for survival because if they don't do that then they were going to you know go into such deep depression um and it's a sad sad fact that quite a lot of the time when people go into a care setting that they automatically get desexualized and you know their care care reviews there's nothing in there about um sexual expression this isolation is so huge um it can you know affect people to have massive mental breakdowns and they're the people that can't access anything outside because especially at the moment they can't even physically get outside to go and you know go and meet people um and then you've got a group of people that are slightly more independent than that um and not necessarily in a in a in a care setting but still uh, can probably get out a little bit more, even necessarily in COVID times. But having, again, it comes back to confidence, you know, of being able to know and even like go on online dating or go to a, a speed dating event or whatever it is, putting themselves out there um, and actually not, you know, not believing that, that they're worthy of that. So isolation is a is a massive, massive issue. And I think that along with that, one of the things that you guys have put a big... Um weight on is about breaking down prejudice and breaking down assumptions and I guess I wanted to talk about what you guys think a lot of the common assumptions about disability and sex are. Yeah I think what's really interesting is what Jenny just said around loneliness and isolation and maybe even if you're able to get out and access certain things, not having the confidence or the belief system in order to do that. And I actually do think that society and the media has got a lot to answer for in terms of that. Um, Even though in the media now we're just starting to see um, disabled characters in TV programmes, quite often those character, the actors aren't disabled themselves and they're playing a disabled character. Um, And I also think it's very, very rare in the media to even see a disabled character as a a positive one. Quite often, there's still a lot of victimisation, a lot of vulnerability, um, a lot of kind of burden rhetoric that goes with those characters. And when you sat watching the TV at night, when you go on Instagram and, and it's rare to see a disabled person in an advertising campaign, all of these things do have a huge effect on how you see yourself and how you are prepared for other people to view and perceive you. And I think that's such a massive, massive part of disabled identity and how we believe that we deserve to be perceived. And I think if you believe that you don't deserve a lot, because that's what society tells you, that you are infantilised and childlike, that you are that you don't want and can't have sex, that you're not deserving of a relationship because automatically, well, of course, somebody is going to become your carer. No, that's not true. And that's not the real world. And that's not how it really is. So I think that we have a long way to go in terms of changing that dialogue as well. Mm, and changing the representation 
of disability. Yeah. And also, and also it's quite often the disabled person's the villain. You know, they've got the hook for the arm or the glass <laughs> eye or, you know, like, you know, they're the villain side of it. And it's like, it's either that, isn't it? Or as Em said, you, you know, she feel really, really sorry for that disabled person and the, the storylines around the disability rather than they just happen to be a character. Um, and unless you're really looking, unless you're on social media and you're following disabled people on social media because that's what you want to want to follow and you want to see, that is not just naturally going to come up in your in your feeds or, or on your social media. It doesn't. Um, we you know we're surrounded by it because that's what that that's what we do. But it's not a natural it's not a natural thing that happens at all. I think that that's such a massive part of it as well. But I suppose it's also empowering, as you were saying, partners and carers and people in families to realise that disabled people can go out and kind of get what they want and make those informed choices. And I I think importantly, you know, the important word here being informed choices, that the information is there because it also then helps them to enable those people. Yeah, and it's really interesting because quite often we get, I guess, two, two groups of questions, if you like, from parents in particular um one side saying you know I, I have a disabled son or daughter and they've they've shown that they want to become more sexual they want to start dating I really don't know what to do or how comfortable I feel with this please help me and then another group that's saying I really actively want to enable my son or daughter to be able to do this where can I find the resources? Have you got any idea of local groups that I could signpost him or her to in our local community? Um, and, and we've got to be able to field both of those questions because both are valuable. You know, you understand the fear and the vulnerability of a child who's disabled and the, the desire to want to do what's right by them. And you also really understand and applaud and celebrate the people that already recognise that this is a right for their child um, and they should be supporting them in whatever way they feel comfortable and that they're able to. And just adding just adding on from that, sorry, that I think equally there's people who are, are also um, that are carers or care staff that are saying, I uh, I have someone that I'm supporting, but I and, and they want to do this, but I don't know what the law states. I don't know if I'm covered legally. What are, what are my rights? What are their rights? I don't want to get arrested um, for supplying somebody with a sex toy or phoning a sex worker. You know what are my what are my rights? Um, and that's a very common question that we get from people um, for care managers and care staff, you know, and again, why it's so, so important that training should be implemented within the care settings and for care staff, because they should know, uh, it's, you know, the, the human, human rights, um, for disabled people to be able to access these things. There's no point just saying everyone has a right equally, this should happen. People need to know how to make it happen and how legally they make it happen. And we've got to hold people's hands because mm. it's a really scary thing if you get wrong. And, you know, if you get wrong, it could be, it could lead to, you know, accusations of abuse, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, I understand why it feels like really muddied water for parents or, you know, anyone supporting people that might be seen to be vulnerable. Uh, it's a big, it's a big thing. Mm. 
And I suppose, you know, carers by definition are like protective, but what you guys are saying is sometimes that can become overprotective. And so it's about working out, you know, and helping people to work out like how they can do it in the right way. Well, I think it's two things. It's either overprotective, absolutely, or what I think happens more is just literally nothing is done. Nothing. So it's not even looking into it or not even um, trying to find out what that information is. It's just nothing is done. And, um, you know, if somebody even even going down to the privacy of being able to, to, you know, to masturbate, if that's what you want to do, if you haven't got the dexterity to do that and you can't do that, that should be something that all of us just can do. Um but you have to have a care review on it. You have to have a staff meeting on it. You have to, oh, you're suddenly something that should be really private becomes huge and it becomes everyone's business and you have to have a meeting around it and then something in your care plan. Who wants that? So rather than that happening, some people just choose not to do it at all and then they end up becoming very sexually frustrated, very depressed. Men, you know, men say, I've got this, you know, physical need. You know, I need to be able to ejaculate. Women, it's like, you know, still a physical need, but it's slightly different. Um, and, and so it's affecting you physically and mentally in very, very specific and quite severe ways for some people. Mm. And I think, as you said, that is something probably a lot of people have never thought about. You know, the idea of this being you know, something private and pleasure focused for you as an individual suddenly becomes, you know, public knowledge. Yeah. And hugely discussed whether, you know, it's okay. And like we say, like, you know, use the term, <laughs> oh, just a cheeky wank. <laughs> it's not a cheeky wank anymore, you know, it's a full meeting, you know, and there's a lot of paperwork that goes with that, you know, and you just think, this isn't quite, as this is killing the mood, man. This is killing the mood. Um, so, you know, you can see why people just give up on it. Um, and then you give up on it and then you give up, you know, getting your legs waxed or shaved or all the things, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel good about yourself. You give up doing those things and just live in your, you know, your jogging bottoms and your baggy top or whatever, which doesn't make us feel good about ourselves all the time, if that's what... It depends on who you are, obviously. But for, for a lot of people to get dressed up, you know, it makes you feel better about yourself. You haven't got those opportunities or no one in, no one encouraging you to do that. It's, it's a huge impact on your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys are developing guides to help with all of this, right? You're trying to put all this information into guides and into stuff that people can read and learn about and so that you can try and start changing the system or changing the the awareness yeah so we've got we've got guides for disabled people themselves um we've got some sex education guides for disabled teenagers as well and we've got guides for parents and carers um because as jenny said you know there was themes coming up all the time in the questions that we were getting asked so almost the guides are a bit of a a bit of a FAQ answering if you like um but just putting that warmth into the situation as well providing that support and advice um ensuring that people feel comfortable that we're going to be there if they've got a question because these are the kind of issues that aren't just solved overnight and if they're solved properly, they do take a lot of discussion and communication and thought. Um, so we really want to encourage that to happen as well. Amazing. And also, and also um, alongside that, also offering training um, for care staff 
Um, and then, you know, looking at policies, because a lot of the time policies don't even exist within care settings, like how to support people, care staff don't understand the law. Um, so um, providing that. And actually, we're going one step better than that, which I'm really excited about. We've, we've recently got a contract with a care home, which are really forward thinking. And not only that, we're, we're setting up Zoom sessions. So we're having um, an organisation called Split Banana and they run sex education. Mm. A lot of disabled adults never had any sex education, let alone inclusive sex education. So though, for those people who want sex education, we're going to be setting up Zooms. We're setting up the Love Lounge so people within care settings can come and um have a, a zoom session um and and talk to the the, um, the love lounge team um we, we're going to have different guests coming in looking at different um sex toys and we're looking we're actually oh, developing um, a range of inclusive sex toys at the moment as we speak with an organization called Rocksoft. so that's really exciting so it's it's more than just guides, you know, we're, we're trying to make this into a whole kind of holistic approach to everything. And we recognise that it's not just a quick answer. This has to culturally change within organisations. And then once the culturally, you know, this culturally change within organisations, then hopefully um, relatives if it's a care setting, can feel confident in that as well, you know, because not all relatives want to have these conversations with their yeah. children or their loved ones. Actually, they prefer a professional to do that and I know I, I'm you know I'm the, the mother of, of two girls yes I will talk to them about sex to a certain point absolutely I will but mm. I still respect that there's only so much they want to talk to me about that you know um and and that and that's okay you know I don't want to talk to my mum about sex I don't and I'm 41 and I do this for a living I don't want to do that um so it's about providing that you know that um information for people who don't want to speak to their parents if they're still living at home uh and they have no one else to speak to it's a big job you know it's a it's a big job it's a lot of work to to do but we we are getting there people are starting to recognize the importance of it more and more now luckily but it's a long way to go still well to me it sounds like you guys are just doing a brilliant job on so many levels and I love that you were saying that holistic approach you know that we I mean the sex toys sound brilliant I cannot wait to hear all about them we're very Um, excited to test them out (laughs) (laughs) we are yeah yeah we're getting free first free samples and then we've got a focus group it's fun actually we've had a focus group with loads of people with all different kind of impairments so it's really brilliant so rocks off really listened to or everyone really has said coming from different angles and it's just been brilliant hasn't it um you know that they've taken on everything that we've said and mm. um and trying to develop things that just you know for people with poor dexterity um people being able to like open open packaging how difficult that is you know batteries are really difficult to put in so not using batteries you know using powerpoints that are rechargeable powerpoints things like they've just taken you know everything on which is which is which is absolutely amazing and i think what it proves is that it's possible you know i think so often when we think about disability and sex the immediate response is oh well you can't do that it's not possible well actually it is it does just take a lot of time, effort, thought, communication, but hey, the results are worth it. Mm, absolutely. It's yeah. really exciting. It's exciting. I think that, you know, the campaign and what you guys are doing is just great. And I think that it must be such an amazing resource for people who are looking for that information or people that feel confused or carers or partners or parents. And I just think, you know, like information is power and 
you guys are providing an educational and supportive platform for that and it's just so needed um and so I always finish these podcasts by asking what your kind of piece of advice would be for sexual well-being and sexual wellness and I wondered if you guys both had one of those for us to close off the conversation that's a good question. Jen, Jen do you <laughs> want to go first? a big question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I was about to say, Em, do you want to go first? Um, advice for sexual well-being, is that with the question? Yeah, so just like, a, you know, something that you think is an important part of sexual well-being or that someone might find helpful if they heard it or something to think about, a little takeaway, I suppose. thing is, I, for me, I think it's about what makes you feel good about yourself. Um, and what is your sexual expression? Because I think it's different for everybody. Um, and for me, it's, you know, getting my nails done is a really important thing to me. And wearing my perfume and having my hair done, those things make me feel good about myself. But also being able to have access to um, information out there and knowing that I'm not alone in some of the, you know, the first thing you do is something happens, you Google it. Um, and there are other people out there that have the same, you know, concerns and issues that I do with certain things and seeing not only that there are problems, what the solution and ideas and positive stories, positive solutions to that, um, that I think that that's something that can, that's really helpful. Amazing. I think for me, um, what I really enjoy and probably what I've come to enjoy a little bit later in life, that makes me sound old, I'm not, but... um, (laughs) This idea of just continuing the conversation about sex and intimacy and what you enjoy and having the comfort and the confidence to have that conversation if desires, wants, needs change. Um, And I think it's about being able to have that conversation in a really fun and warm way you know quite often this this sounds really weird but quite often if we've if we just had really good sex my partner and I'll have a little bit of a debrief about what we really enjoyed and and that to me is shows that we've got a really healthy good sexual relationship um and I'd like to think that people feel comfortable and confident enough for that to happen and especially disabled people who's needs requirements might be a little bit outside of the norm Mm. and I think that's brilliant and you know I think that why why wouldn't you debrief if something is good (laughs) and you know we go to restaurants (laughs) and we're like oh that was really nice what was your favorite bit like why wouldn't we do the same with sex and and we also debrief if something wasn't as good but there those conversations are often not quite as fun (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, guys, could you just um, tell everyone if they want to know a bit more about Enhance the UK, about the Undressing Disability campaign, um, where they could find out more information? So you can find us at enhancetheuk.org. That's our website, at Undressing Disability on Instagram and at ETUK Undressing on Twitter. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sexual Wellness Sessions. If you'd like to join us for more conversations, you can click subscribe on either Apple or Spotify podcasts. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review.